Aloha and welcome. Today I'll be talking with Neil Donald Walsh, a modern-day mystic and spiritual messenger whose words have touched our world in the most profound ways. Neil's search for spiritual meaning throughout his life eventually led to his now famous conversation with God. His With God series of books, which have been translated into 34 languages now, have touched and inspired the lives of millions of people around the world. Each of Neil's Conversations with God books has made the New York Times bestsellers list, and book one of Conversations with God book remained on the list for over two and a half years. The With God series has redefined God and shifted spiritual paradigms around the globe. In order to deal with the enormous response to his writings, Neil created the Conversations with God Foundation, a nonprofit educational organization dedicated to inspiring the world to help itself move from violence to peace, from confusion to clarity, and from anger to love. A true visionary and humanitarian, Neil's work has taken him from the steps of Machu Picchu in Peru to the steps of the Shinto shrines of Japan, from Red Square in Moscow to St. Peter's Square. Sorry about that. In Vatican City to Tiananmen Square in China, and everywhere he has gone from South Africa to Norway, Croatia to the Netherlands, the streets of Zurich to the to the streets of Seoul, Neil has found a hunger among the people to find a new way to live at last in peace and harmony, and he has sought to bring people a new understanding of life and of God, which would allow them to experience that. In addition to authoring the renowned With God series, Neil has published 16 other works as well as a number of video and audio programs. His most recent publication, Happier Than God, is Neil's book about the law of attraction with God as your partner. Please visit ndwhome, that's ndwhome, dot com to learn more about Neil, his work, and his upcoming events. That's ndwhome.com. Please welcome to the show our friend and guest, Neil Donald Walsh. It's such a great honor to have you with us, Neil. Well, golly, aren't those nice words for you to say to me, and I'm not sure, so sure how... How big the honor is, but it's lovely uh, for you to have asked me to be on the program, and I thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yes, we really appreciate your being here to share your wisdom with us. So first, how does someone become happier than God? Well, first, by realizing that you can be. That is, that, uh, and the phrase happier than God merely means as happy as you could possibly imagine being. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I picked up the phrase from a friend of mine who was describing a mutual acquaintance of ours. Uh, and uh, But my friend was saying that this lady had lots of money. And I said, really? I wasn't aware of that. She doesn't show it. How much money does she have? And my friend said, oh, she's got more money than God. And I immediately, it's kind of a humorous way of saying she's really, really wealthy. Mm-hmm. So when I heard her say she's got more money than God, I realized that using that kind of a, of a description was kind of a clever way of saying an amount larger than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. So I decided to turn that phrase around and call uh, this business about how happy can you be? Oh, you can be happier than, well, happier than God. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the first step in, in actually being so tremendously happy would be, as I said, to uh, notice that you can be. And that that is a change of paradigm for many people. Mm-hmm. That is, many people think that life, in fact, was not even intended to be happy, mm-hmm. that the purpose of life was to be a test or a proving ground mm-hmm. or some kind of a trial or a tribulation, or at the very least, some kind of a journey or process that's very, very difficult to undertake and to uh, move forward on, and that we are having to somehow meet uh, certain requirements mm-hmm. uh, that uh, life and the universe and God, if you will, place before us. Uh, and if we do all those things well, Mm-hmm. then we might have a at least a halfway a decent life, mm-hmm. although you can certainly expect a great deal of trouble and a great deal of difficulty along the way. Mm-hmm. And then it's not even guaranteed that having, having finished all of that, that you're going to have a wonderful afterlife. That's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. It depends on 
whether you've done what God wants. And even that isn't clear, because we don't know what God wants, except if we belong to a particular religion. And who knows which is the right religion, because there are as many religions as there are hairs on your head. So we have a problem mm -hmm. that seems to be uh, just unable to be solved, mm -hmm. because we don't, we don't have all the data in about any of these things. Mm -hmm. What is it that God wants? and, and uh, what is the test all about anyway. Mm -hmm. Along comes conversations with God to tell us that all of those assumptions that I've just mentioned are false assumptions. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them. That there's nothing that God wants, nothing we have to be, do, or have in order yeah, to... Yeah, what would God want? Exactly. <laughs> Precisely. And there's nothing that we have to be, do, or have uh, in order to gain entry into heaven. Uh, and it's And for that matter... Uh, there is there is no test that's being uh, mm -hmm. administered here on earth. Life is not a trial. Life is not a tribulation. Mm -hmm. Life is not a proving ground. Mm -hmm. Well, that opens up other questions. If that's so, then what is life? Mm -hmm. And the answer is that life is simply an opportunity and an invitation from life itself. That life invites life to express more life through the process of life itself. Mm -hmm. The experience. The process that I call God-godding. <laughs> And so, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> that, that should be a fairly simple and a fairly wonderful process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a process uh, uh, that is uh, a tribulation, and it doesn't have to be a process that's terribly complicated or difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote the book, Happier Than God, to see if we could open up some of those communications, some of those conversations. Mm -hmm. So what you're describing, what I'm hearing you say, is that we've had a paradigm of being other-referred rather than self-referred. Is that well, what you're... That, that's uh, certainly one of the problems. We have two problems, uh, two basic fundamental spiritual problems. You've nailed one of them. I think there's another one. We, have a, uh, we also have an idea that we are somehow separate from God, mm -hmm. which is what causes the problem of being other-referred. Mm -hmm. We imagine that we, that we live within a paradigm of separation. We're separate from God, separate mm -hmm. in a sense from life itself, separate from each other for sure, and separate from all that is. That we mm -hmm. are just looking at a system that is comprised of a bunch of individual separated entities, codependent for sure, but separated nonetheless. That understanding is inaccurate. And as soon as we change our ideas about how life really is mm -hmm. and the nature of things, mm -hmm. then we begin to um, no longer be other-referred because we realize there is no other. But do you think this is just a part of evolution as we incarnate as God, Yes, so to speak? <laughs> yes, yes I, think that, I think that in all beginning cultures of sentient beings, and ours is certainly a beginning culture of mm -hmm. sentient beings for certain, in all beginning, uh, if not to say primitive, cultures of sentient beings, there is this misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. This misunderstanding does not exist in the more mature mm -hmm. cultures of mm -hmm. sentient beings that there are found everywhere in the universe. But mm -hmm. we're a very young culture, mm -hmm. uh, only a few hundred thousand years old, uh, as opposed to cultures that have existed for millions of years. Mm -hmm. So... Um, could we speak a little bit about the conversations with book, book, book one that was published in 1995? Sure. How did your conversations with God come about? Well, I was moving through a very difficult time in my life, a time when nothing was uh, working for me. Mm -hmm. My relationship with my significant other uh, was falling apart. My career had reached a dead end. Even my health mm -hmm. uh, was going downhill. Yes, I saw the movie. So your movie, and yes. I think it probably just had the highlights, and yes. yeah, there was a lot more space in between <laughs> than yes. maybe was conveyed in the movie. Yeah, but uh, as you know from the film, I wound up uh, after as a result of all of that on the streets looking for work, mm -hmm. and I couldn't mm -hmm. find work, and then I wound mm -hmm. up living on the street because I couldn't find work, mm -hmm. and so I wound up as a street person mm -hmm. uh, in my life, and uh, it was a difficult, challenging. Um, period of my life, mm -hmm. of, of uh, almost a year, just two weeks shy of a year. Mm -hmm. And so um, at that, at the end of that time, I uh, finally got back off the streets. I found a little job at a local radio station uh, in the town where I live, uh, and I was back in the swing of things, so to speak, and that's really when I realized the vacuousness of all of life, because I thought, my gosh, if this is all there is, I mean, just get up, go to work, come home, get up, go to work, come home. 
uh, there must be something more that I don't simply understand here mm-hmm. about life and mm-hmm. the reason for all of it being the way Nobody it gave is. you a rule book, huh? Nobody gave me a, a, a book, and I asked for one. And so uh, that's how the conversation started. Mm-hmm. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I really felt like I, I needed to get some answers or mm-hmm. I didn't want to play anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I began to write out an angry letter to God. Mm-hmm. What does it take to make life work? Mm-hmm. How, you know, What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? And mm-hmm. somebody gave me that rule book. Mm-hmm. I'll play. Just tell me what the rules are. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you were ready to surrender to having a relationship with something higher than your own self. I'm not sure it was about surrender so much. It was about demanding. Uh-huh. I, I, I was, you know, I, I recall vividly the moment. Either mm-hmm. you give me some answers here, or I'm out of here. Yeah. And I was very, very, very much ready. Yeah. To uh, put an end to my physical existence because mm-hmm. I just, I just wasn't having any fun at all. But the only thing that would separate you from God would be some part of yourself, don't you think, Neil? Well, that, that's of course a higher thought that that people don't have when they're feeling very frustrated. Yeah. That's fundamentally true. But when you're yeah. angry, frustrated, and looking for answers, you don't you don't think that clearly. Yeah. At least I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is God talking to everyone all the time? Of course. That's the whole point of the books. Every one of the nine books in the Conversations with God series makes that point. It's not about an individual messenger. It's not about a specific person. It's about all people all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And that God is communicating with all of us in every single moment of our lives mm-hmm. in a thousand different ways mm-hmm. across a hundred lifetimes in a million moments. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is open our, our eyes and open mm-hmm. our ears and be aware Mm-hmm. Well, so how do we hear the voice of God, Neil? And how do we know it's God who's talking to us? Well, we, we hear the voice of God in just the way I just said. We open our eyes, we open our ears so that we can hear. Mm-hmm. That, we, that is, we pay attention mm-hmm. to what's going on. Okay. We, we pay attention to what's happening around us, mm-hmm. to what's being said, what's mm-hmm. occurring, what's being brought to our attention. <coughs> As an example, and and to just just being aware of our life as it's moving past us, as mm-hmm. it's moving... moving uh, so do, would you say you're looking beyond the appearance of things? Or or perhaps looking more deeply into the appearance mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm. uh, rather than looking beyond it, but looking really deeply into the appearance of things and asking some fundamental questions about all the events of our lives from day to day and from moment to moment. After a while, this becomes a, a habit. It's, it's, it feels like a lot of mental mm-hmm. work at first, but mm-hmm. after a while, a, a person begins to live this way, and a person begins to see mm-hmm. the incoming data of the mm-hmm. day, so to speak. So it's but the way you kind of focus. You kind of have a different focus. Is that what you're talking about? I think so, and you don't get so riled up when things mm-hmm. occur. I've been, people have been saying to me lately in my later years, that gosh, Neil, you're so peaceful and calm in the face of uh, all the stuff that the world is throwing at all of us, mm-hmm. and you seem to be more or less uh, okay about some of these things. Mm-hmm. And how do you, how do you do that? And it's mm-hmm. because I think that after a while, as I was saying a moment ago, we begin to uh, rearrange our responses mm-hmm. to the way life is coming at us. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say to look at life as if it's conspiring for you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and and to place each individual experience in life is uh, into the category of part of that conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, you know, and that's become natural for you now? You More just, or less, except mm-hmm. when it's not. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> so, do you have any particular thought system that you're espousing in conversations with God books? Well... I don't know that I am. Uh, I think that, uh, except loosely, the the, the uh, thought constructions that around that hover around what I have come to call the new spirituality, mm-hmm. uh, those thought systems in- includes just a few main points. One, there's no sense sense of separation. There is no separation between us and that which is divine. Mm-hmm. Two, we are the creators of our own reality. Three, nothing is real except what we make real by mm-hmm. the thought that we have about it. Mm-hmm. So our thinking about a, a thing is what makes it real mm-hmm. in our experience. I don't mean to say that things outside of our body are not real. They're certainly real. The wall is over there. The telephone is over here. The, the computer's in front of me. Those are real things. But what I'm saying is that our experience of them, mm-hmm. our experience of everything exterior to us, is experienced internally as a result of what we think about it. Mm-hmm. And your thought about something mm-hmm. can change everything. Mm-hmm. Or as Shakespeare put it far more eloquently, nothing is evil, lest thinking make it so. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Well, I, I know I've heard Swami Muktananda said, life is a meaning, meaningless journey going nowhere for no reason. Something I'm like that. I'm not sure that. that that's true. I don't, I don't yeah. find life to be a meaningless journey. It's certainly not going nowhere. Well, I nowhere. think it's referring to that you're giving things the meaning. Well, if that's what it's referring to, I can live with it. Yes. But the, that's but what I always took it to mean. Yeah. But the, you know, the, that the meaning that we give, nothing has any meaning save mm-hmm. the meaning we give it. Mm-hmm. Is a comment that I think I first read in The Course in Miracles, mm-hmm. and it's a remarkable observation about life. Nothing has any meaning save the meaning we give it. Mm-hmm. So do you have a, a religious background, Neil? Well, I, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I left the church, so to speak, quote-unquote, when I was around 19 or 20. Uh, and then I began exploring uh, many other religions. First, mm-hmm. the other religions of the Christian tradition. I wanted to see what's the difference between a Catholic and a Lutheran. What's the difference between a Lutheran and a Methodist? What's the difference between a Methodist and a Baptist? Because I didn't understand these hairline differences mm-hmm. uh, between the denominations. Mm-hmm. And that was so fascinating to me that I began to look at, well, what's the difference between a Christian and a Jew? Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a Jew and a Buddhist? What did you find out? What's the difference between a Buddhist and a Muslim? You know, what's the difference between a Muslim and a Mormon? What, you know, what are those differences? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I began to look at, you know, even larger questions of human theology. What's the difference between human beings and, you know, and animals? What's the difference between life forms? What's the difference between us and God? I mean, I just began to ask that question. What's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference? It was an amazing journey uh, that brought me uh, a, a lot of insight and a lot of uh, personal awarenesses about life on many, many, many levels. Now, you asked you ask me the question, what's the answer? That could fill 26 books. In fact, I've written 32 books. So you'd almost have to read those books to understand what I have found to be mm-hmm. my answers, and I'm not mm-hmm. even sure my answers are worth reading. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, certainly you have a lot of wisdom and insight that comes through you. There's no doubt about that. Well, I think we all do. So. And, and I think what my wisdom tells me is that all of us have exactly the same resource and exactly mm-hmm. the same ability mm-hmm. and exactly the same uh, clarity, understanding, and wisdom. Mm-hmm. The question is whether we access, access it as regularly it. as we yes. might and whether we use it, whether we use that muscle uh, as often as we ought to. Do you think it's important to have a religious background to be able to access, you know, these understandings? No. No, I think a person should, okay. you know, live in some remote remote area of the world, <coughs> excuse me, never having, having heard of religion at all and, and, uh, have this exact same access to the same source of wisdom. As a matter of fact, anthropologists have found in certain so-called primitive cultures mm-hmm. uh, that their sense of values, the sense of values of the people who belong to that clan or tribe, mm-hmm. are often more elevated than you'll find on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would say inevitably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't think that one has to be raised inside of the construct of a formal religion. Mm-hmm. in order to have uh, the experiences of which we speak here. Mm-hmm. Which is, th- like, union with God? Is that what... Excuse me? Union with God? Th- Being able to feel with... that we're not separate from God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just union with God and, and the feeling of unity, but, but the access to the wisdom and the clarity mm-hmm. and the understanding, the intuitive grasp of life itself mm-hmm. uh, uh, and how it works and, and what its larger purpose is. Mm-hmm. We often learn about these extraordinarily esoteric topics and subjects from members of indigenous cultures. Because mm-hmm. that, that you know, their intuition, their intuitive guidance system wow, is still you know, intact. I was in New Zealand about three years ago. I've been there several times actually, but the last time about three years ago. And I spoke with the Maori. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Maori uh, people are the original indigenous culture uh, of uh, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And um, Analogous, perhaps, to the American Indian culture uh, on the North American continent. And uh, when you talk to the uh, members of the Maori uh, tribe, the Maori clan, uh, they uh, have not been raised uh, originally in any kind of religious uh, or philosophical construct, mm-hmm. except that which has emerged from their own culture. That is, they're not Mormons, they're not Christians, they're not Buddhists, mm-hmm. they're not Jews, they're not Muslims. Mm-hmm. They're Maori. Mm-hmm. And and boy oh boy, if you want to hear wisdom, just talk to a Maori elder for about a half mm-hmm. hour. You'll know what wisdom really is mm-hmm. about life. Mm-hmm. So the answer to your question is no. It's not necessary to belong to a particular religion in order to belong to the family human, mm-hmm. which descends directly from what I call God or that which is divine. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so what have you come to understand as our relationship with God, Neil? Do you, do you follow what I'm asking? I think that our relationship with God is one of demonstrating on earth and experiencing and expressing on earth who and what God is. I think that the relationship is something like this. I think that God exists, that is, that which is divine. Divine energy exists in the universe and seeks to express itself so that it might know itself and recreate itself mm -hmm. in its own experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that divinity is using life in all its forms mm -hmm. as the tool with which to do that. Yes, life in all of its forms. <coughs> yes, yes, exactly. Excuse yeah. me. Inclu that's exactly correct. And, and that... Uh, the human form, of course, is included among them. Mm -hmm. Here's, that's what's interesting, I might add. Some people look at the sky at a, on a wonderful starry night, or they'll see a, a magnificent eagle crossing the sky, mm -hmm. or they'll, they'll see a beautiful garden of extraordinarily exquisite flowers, or, or some aspect of life around them, and they'll say, wow, if that isn't an expression of divinity, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. Wow, if that isn't a, a god you know, in physical form, I don't know what is. And they say that about a lot of things, even a piece of beautiful music, mm -hmm. uh, and so forth. Except when they look in the mirror. They look in the mirror and they can't say, now if that isn't an expression of God, <laughs> I don't know what is. So mm -hmm. what, what they get is that everything else is, is an expression of God except them. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating, fascinating point of view. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yet, in contrast, there's such a need to be dominant. By well, I don't know that there's a need to be dominant. I think that there's what do you a call that, then? cellular proclivity, uh, which has arisen out of our cultural story. Mm -hmm. And the cultural story tells us that we must survive at all costs. Mm -hmm. That's where dominance comes from. Mm -hmm. A thought that, that that is the only way to survive. Mm -hmm. It's about survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. When we eliminate the uh, thought that survival is what we're here to do, mm -hmm. and that our job is to live as long as we possibly can, mm -hmm. but and we replace that with a different cultural story, our our job is to live as best we can, however long that might be, mm -hmm. uh, because we have a, an infinite number of lifetimes, mm -hmm. <clears throat> because we're not limited to the amount of hours we get to spend on the earth or in any other life form, mm -hmm. for that matter. When we begin whole to new paradigm. shift our cultural story to that whole new paradigm you've just mm -hmm. mentioned, when that happens then I think we change the way we move and walk through the world, mm -hmm. both individually and collectively. Yeah, you talk about how perspective uh, changes your perception. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Your perspective changes your perception, which alters your belief, mm -hmm. and, and uh, your belief alters your uh, behavior. Your mm -hmm. behavior alters your experience, and your experience alters your reality, mm -hmm. and your reality creates your next perspective. Mm -hmm. It's a circle. Yes. And it's a, a, a wonderful thing to understand. Once we see how that all mm -hmm. works, we mm -hmm. begin to experience life from mm -hmm. 9 to 5 in a whole new way. So you can come actually expand through that rather than contract. Because I can see how it could move you into a very small place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I, you know I, what I'm I saying? Think that, I think that contraction, in the sense you're using the word, mm -hmm. is a form of expansion. Mm -hmm. That is, humility is a form of great expansion. When we look up at the night sky and we see the enormity of the universe right there in front of us, mm -hmm. and we just, you know, who hasn't done that on a clear summer night? Mm -hmm. And just looked up and said, oh my God, what am I part of here? Mm -hmm. Look at this. I'm looking at millions of stars mm -hmm. right in my own view, mm -hmm. and that's not even counting what the people on the other side of the earth are looking at tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what, what am I part of? How did I get involved mm -hmm. in this? There's a great humility there, yeah. and humility produces greatness, because once we uh, humble ourselves enough to understand what we're part of, mm -hmm. then we can begin to grow into that mm -hmm. in a gracious and grateful and graceful way. Mm -hmm. So your conversations with God books have enjoyed phenomenal international success and acclaim, and they've been translated now into 34 languages. Why do you think your books appeal to such a mass audience, Neil? It's very... You know, that the subject matter, you know what I'm saying, that it appeals to such a mass audience, I think it's pretty phenomenal. So, Well, I think that the human race is losing patience with itself. Mm. I think humanity collectively has come to an awareness that we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have all the questions. Mm -hmm. Now it's time to begin asking those questions again mm -hmm. and not simply accepting the ancient answers that we've been given uh, to these most important inquiries. And out of an awareness that the answers we've been given are simply not working. Mm -hmm. 
They're just no longer functional. Mm -hmm. This happens every several hundred years. Mm -hmm. It's what Gene Houston, the wonderful author, calls jump time, when we jump to a new level mm -hmm. uh, in our understanding and in the process of evolution itself. So I think that what's happening is we are approaching jump time again. Mm -hmm. That humanity has gone as far as it can go on this particular plateau. Mm -hmm. We've come into the wall at the end of the box canyon, mm -hmm. and now it's either up and over the top to the next mm -hmm. level, That's or a wonderful back metaphor. from where we came. Hmm? I like that metaphor. Yeah, and it's, uh, I owe that metaphor to Gene Houston, and, and uh, it's a wonderful picture phrase that helps us to understand that evolution is not a process of a slow uphill climb along mm -hmm. the side of a pyramid, mm -hmm. so much as it is a leveling on the, of, uh, of uh, our experience, we get a plateau on mm -hmm. which we ride and you know, move forward for a long time until we can't go any further with mm -hmm. those belief systems. Mm -hmm. They simply no longer sustain life at yeah. that level. Then mm -hmm. we have to either jump up or mm -hmm. go backward. Mm -hmm. So we get mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the folks behind us crowding against us, crowding against us until we're just mm -hmm. literally pushed at the top to the mm -hmm. next level. The last great jump time we had, as Gene describes it, was the Renaissance, uh -huh. when everything yes. that was uh, yes. uh, true about how we lived our life was changed. Yes. Now, <clears throat> Excuse me. The Renaissance took place over a three—I'm uh, sorry—over a 300-year uh, period. Mm -hmm. At the end of that 300-year period, roughly from 14 something to 17 something, mm -hmm. at the end of that 300-year period, everything about the way we did life changed. Mm -hmm. I mean to say, governance changed, mm -hmm. religion changed, spirituality changed, sexuality and the way we express it was entirely different. Art changed, education changed, mm -hmm. commerce changed. Every thing about the way we did life in those 300 years shifted and changed, such that at the end of that period, it would hardly be possible to recognize the behavioral uh, um, patterns of the human race as compared to what it was 300 years earlier. Now, in this present jump time, we're moving ahead at a, by a factor of 10 because there's been an exponential increase in the speed with which humanity evolves. Therefore, we see that this new jump time this new transformation of the human race will take 30 years oh. and not 300. Wow. I've never, heard, of, I've never heard about the, this. You need to read idea. the book of Tomorrow's God, which describes all of this in considerable detail. And well, tomorrow, I missed it because I have done Tomorrow's God. Really? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's well, I'm going to say it's either Tomorrow's God or the New Revelations. One of those two books talks about mm -hmm. uh, this incredible uh, process. What was that the, second book? The New Revelations. The New Revelations. And uh, in in uh, I think it was I thought it was in Tomorrow's God. We talk extensively about. Well, the there's a lot of information in Tomorrow's God. I, that I is a very cutting edge and and uh, I was I felt uncomfortable in parts of that book. I have to say, so I think it it touched in some yeah. you know, important things. Life begins at the end of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And in Tomorrow's God, a flat-out prediction was made that we will create a new God, in a sense, in, mm -hmm. in, in a manner of speaking, mm -hmm. that is a new understanding of the only God mm -hmm. there is, mm -hmm. that we'll create a new God in the next uh, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we're doing that right now. Mm -hmm. We're in the middle of that period. We're at the mm -hmm. first first five of those 30 years. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think in 25 years, we're going to see a, a tremendous amount of data mm -hmm. that we have previously held to be true about God uh, is uh, finally released and let go mm -hmm. of as we replace it with new learnings, new understandings, new awarenesses, and a whole new consciousness around the question of who we are and what life is really all about. Yeah, this is certainly one of the most exciting periods, I think, on the planet. Also one of the most dangerous, as the Chinese yeah. say, in, you know, the word for opportunity and danger is exactly the same mm -hmm. in Chinese, the character, mm -hmm. whether you know that or not, but mm -hmm. the character in the Chinese language is the same for opportunity or... Uh, or danger mm -hmm. depends on the context within which the word is used in the sentence so we notice that there's also great danger the danger of course is that before we evolve to the place that we get to have jump time mm -hmm. we might render ourselves extinct right. or at least alter the right. or at least alter significantly do you, do you think there are some inherent things safeguards that could be operating to ensure that we can make it or no not no there, no, I, I there is a, there has to be a real danger. I don't think that there is an inherent guarantee mm -hmm. that we will uh, uh, succeed and mm -hmm. survive and keep moving forward no matter what we do, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, there's no guarantee that I will make it down the front steps of my house no matter what yes, I do. They, we don't, nothing comes with a guarantee. We are always looking for a guarantee, and it just I haven't found guarantees in life. So. 
So why did you write Happier Than God? What was the impulse because I saw, for that? Because I saw so many unhappy people in the world. I mean, wherever mm-hmm. I went. And, and by the way, it didn't matter what economic strata one was in uh, or what kind of culture one lived in. I mean, I've traveled the world. I've been blessed to travel to virtually all corners of the earth. Uh, and, and no matter where I go, I see people who are uh, very, very unhappy. I see people who are happy as well, mm-hmm. but the ones who are unhappy are far in the majority. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at that and I thought, God, why is it mm-hmm. that, that 8 out of 10 people are mm-hmm. unhappy more than they are happy, more of the time than they're happy? What's going on here? And, and for that matter, why is such a huge swath of the human race living in abject sadness, misery, poverty, and suffering? Mm-hmm. Well, how can we claim to be uh, a... a, a, a uh, species of sentient beings to say nothing of highly evolved beings which we imagine ourselves to be highly evolved how can we lay claim to that even modestly so and behave the way we do mm-hmm. for instance how is it possible for a species of highly evolved beings to allow 400 children to die every hour mm-hmm. uh, on this planet mm-hmm. of starvation mm-hmm. that's that's unconscionable mm-hmm. so we we uh, we have a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. and that's why I wrote the book to mm-hmm. give the people to give people some of the tools that I have found uh, useful and helpful and successful in leading not only leading a happy life for myself, but in fact creating happiness mm-hmm. for those whose lives I touch. Mm-hmm. What is happiness, Neil? What do you define? Happiness is a sense of well-being, mm-hmm. of authenticity, mm-hmm. of total truthfulness, mm-hmm. of union with the divine and all of life, mm-hmm. of of oneness with each other a lack of separation or isolation or any thought of being alone in any circumstance, situation, uh, or uh, physical experience whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Happiness is a deep awareness of one's uh, connection with uh, God and uh, a sense that all good things uh, come to those who ask for it. Mm-hmm. Happiness is a sense of peace and inner serenity that comes from knowing that there is a purpose and a larger reason for all that is going on. Mm-hmm even the so-called challenges with which we are confronted, and ultimately happiness is knowing that all things will end well. Mm-hmm. It's like Shakespeare said again, all's well that ends well, mm-hmm. and I would add a postscript to that. All's well that ends well, and all ends well. Mm-hmm. So do you think people are, you know, how comfortable are people with feeling happy? Excuse me, how comfortable? How comfortable do you think most people are with being happy? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. <laughs> very insightful question. You're <laughs> right, because a lot of people can be happy, and they're so uncomfortable being happy mm-hmm. because they don't think they're supposed to be. Yes. And so they actually step away from their happiness and create another drama tomorrow. Yes. Do you think that's problem. a part of the belief? Oh, of course it is. Absolutely. The belief is we're not supposed to be happy mm-hmm. on the earth. I told you, happiness is a testing ground. Mm-hmm. Happy, I'm, I'm sorry, life. Life is a testing ground. Life is a is a, um, uh, a trial. It's a tribulation. You're not supposed to be happy. There are some religions that actually teach no dancing, no mm-hmm. singing, mm-hmm. no no being happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no being happy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> there are certain c- countries where you have to wear, you know, cover yourself from head to toe and mm-hmm. don't let the sun shine on any mm-hmm. part of your body. Mm-hmm. A little slit open for your eyes to look through. You must. You're required to grow a beard. You are required to grow a beard. You can't play any music on the radio unless it's sacred music of mm-hmm. a certain religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, otherwise, it's otherwise you know with kind of music. I mean, it's just like a very restrictive. You will. You will not be happy. Do you hear me? <laughs> and, and 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 that's that's in yeah. many religions a fundamental teaching. Mm-hmm. So you're, it's a very astute question. Mm-hmm. Some people are so uncomfortable being happy that in 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 a kind of a strange way, by reverse logic, they're happy being unhappy. Mm. I had a mother-in-law like that mm. once. She must have been very unhappy for you to be around. She <laughs> no, I just I, no because I found it humorous. Mm-hmm. I, I just noticed that 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 she, that the. The unhappier she was, the happier she was. <laughs> that is, she got to play victim. And if she could yes. play a huge role of victim yes. in a strange, reverse yes. English kind of way, yes. she was happy there because yes. she was comfortable there. Yes. But as soon as someone came in to try to solve the problem, she'd be unhappy because yes. she took the problem away from yes. her. Yes, yes. So it was, her, it was like a neuroassociation. A, a what? A neuroassociation. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you mean uh, by be clear that nothing you see is real? Well, I mean exactly that. Everything we're looking at is an illusion. That is, it is a collection 
of uh, <laughs> energies packaged to to, uh, to give us an opportunity to interpret them in a particular way. If you saw things the way they really are, mm -hmm. instead of the way your mind interprets them, mm -hmm. all you'd see is a bunch of uh, um, energy units floating around in space. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a wonderful book on this subject written by Michael Talbot called oh, The yeah. Holographic Universe. Yes. And that book explains exactly what's meant by the comment. Uh -huh. the, the book explains that if you were to look at something uh, with eyes other than the way we look at things, you mm -hmm. would you would see things as simply patterns of shivery, shimmering energies, mm -hmm. uh, much as uh, if anyone watched the movie The Matrix, mm -hmm. much as uh, as The Matrix was trying to trying to show us that mm -hmm. things are simply nothing but more than energies shimmering and mm -hmm. vibrating uh, and oscillating at a particular frequency in a particular mm -hmm. time and place. Mm -hmm. Now what happens is those light forms come into the eye. They um, make their way through along neural pathways mm -hmm. to the brain, which mm -hmm. interprets those mm -hmm. patterns mm -hmm. uh, and 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 compares them to patterns previously seen. So you have to have look, a concept for it that look the same or nearly the same, mm -hmm. and and then they uh, make a co mental construction that creates what it, what things appear to be in physicality. Mm -hmm. The second meaning of uh, nothing is real, nothing that you see is real, is a mental meaning. It means to say that even if it were real in physical form, mm -hmm. setting aside the argument that I just gave you, if mm -hmm. we just say, oh, Neil, stop talking nonsense, a rock is a rock is a rock, mm -hmm. a mountain is a mountain is a mountain, and mm -hmm. everyone who looks at it sees a mountain, what are you trying to tell me? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Let's set aside that argument for the moment. Mm -hmm. The fact is that what is variable is the way we experience interiorly, we touched mm -hmm. on this about 15 minutes ago, yes the way we experience interiorly anything. Mm -hmm. So when I say nothing I see is real, what I mean is it does not hold the same reality for me as it does for anybody else. The right. proof of that is 15 people can walk down the street, look at exactly the same thing, turn the corner around and give a police report with 15 entirely different accounts of yes. what they saw. Yes. That's what I mean by nothing you see is real. Yes. Everything is subjectively Subjective. experienced. Mm -hmm. So maybe an example of that, say, if you went to some Amazon tribe that's never seen a watch, you show them a watch, and you they wouldn't know what that is, right? It would, wouldn't be real to them at all. Yeah. That's called Magellan's ship. It's the Magellan's ship syndrome. Mm -hmm. It's why Magellan was able to conquer all the islands in the South Pacific mm -hmm. without any... Uh, resistance or show of force whatsoever by the natives who lived in those islands. Mm -hmm. Because when they saw his ship approach, they had no, no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. They had never seen a ship that, that massive. Imagine mm -hmm. two and a half story high, you know, uh, uh, um, poles with, 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 with white sheets flowing from them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the masts were enormous. I mean, mm -hmm. Magellan's ships, compared to the dugout canoes that these natives mm -hmm. were running around the islands in, they had never seen anything like it. It would be, be like us seeing mm -hmm. a flying saucer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> look right at it and not even know what the hell it is. Mm -hmm. So they, they looked at it and, and they didn't know what that was. Then off came the, the people. The men came off the ship with their armor, their, mm -hmm. their silver-plated wow. armor. And, and, and these guys are running around naked. They don't mm -hmm. know what that is. What, what's that? Wow. So as far as they knew, these beings that were getting off this enormous vessel were gods. Yes. Who would, and, and, and besides which, what weapons would they use if they wanted to oppose them anyway? Yeah. Sticks and stones? Yeah. So, of course, they didn't oppose anybody, and that's mm -hmm. called the Magellan's Ship Syndrome. Oh, I never right heard of that. It called that. I've heard of the syndrome, but I never heard yeah. that it was called that. Sure. So, what are your seven steps? You talk about seven steps to being happier than God. Can you share? I have the idea. I don't have a book. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> I don't have the book in front of me either, no, although I put it in order at the library. Yeah, I requested we have it. So. I have no idea what the, there are more than this. Oh, you mean 17 steps? Yeah, there are 17 steps in the back of the book. Yes. 17 steps, not seven. I was, I was trying to think. Oh, what yeah, the 17. The could, seven yeah, I, wanted, I know you have these guidelines for being happy and yeah, how to create a better world for back. everyone. Yeah, there are 17 steps in the back of the book to being happier than yeah. God. We've talked a lot about some of them right here. You should, it's, a, it's a far too sophisticated set of steps, all 17 of them, for me to get into here. But when you go to the book, go to the back of the book and read those 17 steps, and you'll uh -huh. find that they are a wonderful pathway to being uh, happier than God. Mm -hmm. Some very simple steps, like smile five times a day mm -hmm. for no good reason. And some very sophisticated steps, like put an end to separation theology 
or allow yourself to realize that you need nothing and explore in the depth of your being what the whole concept of need really is. Mm-hmm. So some of the steps are very simple, if not to say simplistic. Some of them are very sophisticated. Mm-hmm. But when you finish the 17 steps to being mm-hmm. happier than God, I'd be very surprised if you could walk around the earth and still be uh, where you have been before you read that book. I think you'd mm-hmm. elevate or upshift your level of happiness considerably. People have read the book and told me that. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I understand is that you, you um, talk about being happy with what you get. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that being one of the... Happiness is not getting what you want, it's wanting what you get. Mm-hmm. And that's an ancient turn of phrase that's been talked about and, and, and shared with humanity for many, 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 many years by thousands of other teachers, not my own original creation, but it is an extraordinarily insightful piece of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And when I learned that uh, a few years ago, everything in my life changed. Mm-hmm. Happiness is not getting what you want. It's wanting what you get. Mm-hmm. It's embracing and holding as a treasure the way life is showing up right here, right mm-hmm. now. Byron Katie wrote a wonderful book on this subject called Loving what is. Yeah, that's a, it is a wonderful. I've, powerful. I've powerful done all of writing. Lauren Katie's. You have more than she has out. <laughs> so I haven't done ab- absolutely that's, everything of yours. Well, so. That's because Byron says more in one book than I can tell. <laughs> She's got a brilliant mind and incredible insight. She uh, does. There are, there are two books that I advise people to read, and I, and I hope they never go through a lifetime without reading them this time through. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the one is Loving What Is by Byron Katie. The other mm-hmm. one is Eckhart Tolle's magnificent book, The Power of Power Now. Now, yes. You read yes. those two books side yes. by side, don't have to look at any other piece of yes. information. It's yes. all there. It's, yeah, they are, yes, definitely. So, You tell us in the book, Happier Than God, to get over our drama. You already mentioned that earlier about getting over our story. Could you explain to us how happiness can never, never be found in our story? Well, unless we have a story of happiness. It depends <laughs> on what kind of story we're creating. But but most, most people create stories of, of, of unhappiness and of drama mm-hmm. uh, and stories that have no relationship to what's going on right here, right mm-hmm. now, no relationship to ultimate reality. To, uh, which is what's going on mm-hmm. in this present so then moment. The maybe a better now. question would be, um, how does one get give up one story if it's not a happy well, story? A new one. Mm-hmm. See, don't don't try to give up the one you got. Yeah. You, you, just don't even try to delete it. Just mm-hmm. just overwrite it in a mm-hmm. sense to use computer language. Mm-hmm. Just write a new story, mm-hmm. and you can literally start. I mean, literally, if you want to do it in story form, you can actually do that. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. there was a man named Neil mm-hmm. who lived in the early part of the 21st century. Who Right. colon, and then fill in the blank, mm-hmm. who had a beautiful and lovely wife, an enormous family that loved him to pieces, that he that he adored, who had life work. That mm-hmm. You can get as specific with that story as you want. Mm-hmm. And you could write that story, by the way, for a year and not finish it, because it, mm-hmm. gets, it gets down to fine detail. Mm-hmm. Who is not afraid of flying? You know, you could get right, right down into all the simple things that you want to change in your life. And then you start living the new story, mm-hmm. as opposed to and the And that old would story. include how you've perceived your past? Exactly. It could exactly do that. You can change your mind about the past mm-hmm. and change your mind about about past events mm-hmm. and what they mean to you. What they mean, yes. And, and how they affected you. This, you know, here again, referring to other people's wonderful work, the work of those of, of Bandler and, and Grinder, who wrote uh, uh, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, is all about this. Mm-hmm. NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, is, fantastic. is about taking a look at your past through different set of eyes. It's mm-hmm. about changing your perspective, which mm-hmm. changes your perception, which changes your belief, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. So NLP is a very powerful tool in that regard, and I've I've used it in my life to great, great uh, effectiveness. Uh, and I give you, you know, I just it just changed everything for me when I started using NLP mm-hmm. on a couple of, uh, on a couple of past experiences that were uh, being held in my consciousness as deep tragedies and moments of great sorrow that I couldn't, I just couldn't forget. Mm-hmm. I couldn't uh, get away from those mm-hmm. feelings. Every and time I there are that, millions of people who can relate to that. Wow, every time I remembered that event, my, my heart would get sad and mm-hmm. I would start to even, I, I could even bring myself to tears if I thought about it long enough, mm-hmm. even though it happened 27 years ago, mm-hmm. until I got into NLP and I began to re- reframe the experience. Yes, and suddenly, reframing. When, when, it, when, it, when my mind came up with that memory, it held it in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, amazing. You know, we have so many marvelous technologies now that there, I, I swear there is very little reason for us to remain unhappy over an extended mm-hmm. period of time. Unless we choose to. <laughs> exactly. 
Yes, there's all kinds of help available to us that is just, you know, that can fit, suit our particular way of reframing whatever it is that we need to get over about in our story or whatever and create a whole new pattern for ourselves. So so what are you what are your thoughts then on uh, approval seeking, Neil? I mean that that seems to be quite a big Stop uh, doing it. <laughs> we require no one's approval but our own. Uh huh. And I mean, I know that sounds arrogant as heck, but I, I mean, I really mean it. And we don't require God's approval. But it's very difficult for people to do. Well, I know, but uh, unless it's not, I mean, <laughs> unless it's not, <laughs> it's just, you know, we just have to decide that it isn't. Yes, really it's difficult. making a decision, then. Yeah. Yeah. So, could you tell us a little more about your journey, Neil? And what is your spiritual mythos? Do you have a spiritual mythos? Oh gosh, what an interesting question. My uh, my whole spiritual life is based in what's happening right here, right now. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really get too much into uh, into past thoughts, ideas, concepts. Mm-hmm. I, I, how long I, has that been? I mean, how long has it been like that for you? Right here, right now. Mm. I mean, but when did how how long have you been in the place where it just came from here now? Hear what I'm was, saying? Yeah, sure. And I was being—I was having fun with you. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been as long as right here, right now, is what I was saying. But I mean, yes. it, in, in chronological terms, probably seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. A little bit less than ten years, probably. Mm-hmm. When I kind of shifted to, you know what? I'm—I'm I'm just going to do. I'm just going to live my life uh, and have my spiritual reality mm-hmm. be a reflection of the truth that I'm experiencing right here, right now, mm-hmm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. And you weren't and carrying around stuff from the past or yeah, things about and, the and future. Yeah, and relying on doctrines of somebody else or, mm-hmm. or, or dogmas that somebody else has created or put in my space. Yes, exactly mm-hmm. right. And so you came to a certain peace or okayness about yourself. And your sense of well-being was, you know, intact. It's kind of like, to me, it's like where I have this I what I'm wa- wanting in my life still is to have that sense of completeness in my own being. You know, I don't. Th- I don't think it's possible to re- really get to a place of that completeness in your own being mm-hmm. until you see everyone else is complete in theirs. Mm. Uh, the, the process begins outside of ourselves, most efficiently and most effectively, from my awareness and from my experience. Mm-hmm. So, what I have really uh, trained myself. How, how I uh, to do and how I got to the place where I imagine myself now to be, except when I'm not, uh, <laughs> is that by seeing everybody else as complete, everything else uh-huh. as, and and by doing the best I can to treat everyone else in that way. So when I approve of everyone else, I uh-huh. approve of myself. Uh-huh. When I accept everyone else, I accept myself. Uh-huh. When I love everyone else, I love myself. Uh-huh. And when I embrace everyone else exactly the way they're showing up right now, uh-huh. I can finally embrace myself exactly the way I'm showing up right now. That's mm-hmm. the beginning step, I, my experience has been, that's the beginning step in that uh, reaching that level of self-approval that you speak of, yes. where it becomes possible to move through life in the ways that you are describing. Yes. So what was your what was your... What was your thing for making that shift? To uh, well, an, an awareness that the way I was living wasn't working. Yeah. See, there's no magic tool. There's, it's about awareness. Mm-hmm. I wish I could just say, well, there's a following tool. Do the following three things: get a glass of apple juice, <laughs> mix it with you know some apple juice, and pour in this and that, and drink it. But, or you know, walk backward three you know three steps and turn to the east. But there, there is no no specific. It's about awareness. Uh huh. And for me, it was about being aware and and just dreadfully honest with myself. You know what, Neil? Mm-hmm. Honesty is crucial. You know what, Neil? The doctrines and the dogmas that you have embraced are simply not working. You know, mm-hmm. Neil, the thoughts that you think, more often than not, are simply not serving you. Mm-hmm. You know what, Neil? Six out of out of ten behaviors are working against you and not mm-hmm. for you and have not produced, let's be honest, the result that you wanted them mm-hmm. to produce, Neil. You know mm-hmm. what, Neil? In one simple phrase, your life is not working. <laughs> and and when I got to that clarity, I, I, I was able to admit that that was true for me. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly I was very very clear mm-hmm. uh, that it was time to, and that was the, that was what that was a trick for me. That that's what, what turned the tide, if you mm-hmm. please. And got me to the place that you and I are now discussing. Mm-hmm. So it's about awareness. The tool 
is awareness, a willingness to look at one's life and to see it as it really is. Mm-hmm. And you know so what? developing the observer yes. part and, of yourself? And, 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 you, and, and you know what? A lot of people are living wonderful lives, and they get to that awareness, and they, they, they go, you know what? My life is really wonderful. In fact, it's more wonderful than I thought it was uh-huh. until, I, until I got real clear and began to look at it. Uh, from that place of higher awareness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's all it takes mm-hmm. to make a tremendous transition. Mm-hmm. Simply a deeper awareness of what is so. Mm-hmm. Again, Byron Katie, loving what is. Mm-hmm. And those are, you know, what you're saying, what I've found to help strengthen the observer self is, has more to do with, you know, like meditative type where you're just observing what is, you know, what you're saying there, loving what is, and just having a direct experience of what is. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So, well, I'm going to have to listen to this recording a number of times (laughs) 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 to gather all the different things that you've shared with us today. Do you have any upcoming events you'd like to tell us about, you'd like for people to know about? Well, uh, there are several uh, programs that we're involving ourselves in in the first part of, of this new year of 2009, and, and uh, one of them is a program called Deep Study, which is a three-day deep study course on the materials and conversations with God. Mm-hmm. There are others as well. If people want to know more about that, they can go to my, my uh, website at ndwhome.com, uh, and they'll get to my home page that way. And they can find out by looking at our schedule of events, everything that's upcoming, okay. and an opportunity to really engage in some of those programs if, if it feels that it would serve them to do so. Yes, yes. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? You feel inspired to share with us, Neil? I surely don't. I'm just answering okay. your questions and happy to do it. Oh well, thank you so much. I've appreciated your being here and joining us, and it's been such a pleasure and an honor to thank have you. you on the show. Thanks. And please, everyone, uh, if you feel inspired, go visit Neil's website at ndwhome.com to learn more about Neil and his work and his upcoming events, see if anything um, speaks to you and calls to you. Um, So anyway, have a beautiful day, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and much love to you, Neil. Thank you.